In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Natalie Morales is our featured guest today on Money Tales. You're probably already familiar with Natalie, who is a current host of The Talk on CBS, which she recently joined after a 15-year run on The Today Show. Natalie is an ambitious, focused, and talented journalist who determined early in her career that she wanted to be a successful reporter. To get started, she had to take a 50% pay cut, get up at three in the morning, head to the Bronx, shoot her own video, and then edit her stories. In the beginning, she was a one-woman news production band. Hi, this is Sandy. Natalie Morales is a television anchor and journalist. She serves as host of The Talk, CBS's daytime Emmy award-winning talk show that examines topical events and contemporary issues through the eyes of its five hosts. Most recently, Natalie was the West Coast anchor of NBC News's Today, correspondent for Dateline NBC, and anchor of Behind Closed Doors with Natalie Morales. She previously served as host of Access and co-host of Access Live, as well as news anchor of Today. Throughout her career, Natalie has covered major stories and people, for which she's received numerous awards and recognition. We want to highlight three money topics that Natalie brings to life in this conversation. First, being raised in various patriarchal societies and having a frugal dad, Natalie recognized the importance of being able to provide for herself and achieve financial freedom. Second, the benefits and cost of working with agents. And third, how life is about taking risks, and when they pay off, it doesn't mean the struggle is over. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from this discussion. Now, onto our conversation with Natalie Morales. Natalie Morales, welcome to Money Tells Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Love the opportunity to hopefully educate and get conversations going that will allow people to know more and to not fear money as much as they do. Would you start us off by providing a brief overview clip of your life's journey focused on two to three pivotal moments that really influenced you? I grew up um, in a family of three daughters and my parents, and my father was in the military, Air Force, for 23 years. He served overseas for a majority of his time in the military. So we grew up upper middle class, my dad not making more than $75,000 annually income. And now as a retired military person makes a good pension. So money was very much first and foremost, a thought in my house, because it wasn't something that we had a ton of, but it was something that certainly allowed us an incredible upbringing and opportunity to live abroad and to experience many cultures and to be able to travel. My dad always did it very frugally. We were the kids who 
would ride the Air Force Mac planes for $10 a person. We would be able to go from Madrid, Spain to Germany, but we would sit at the airport, the Air Force airports for hours waiting for those flights. It was like sticking your thumb out and saying, can we have a ride and being able to travel the world and see Europe. So we did it on the cheap, but it opened my eyes to what was truly an incredible experience and upbringing that gave me an opportunity to experience so many different cultures and backgrounds and people. And I think that's what allowed me to then choose a career like journalism. I knew it was something I wanted to be able to do, to be able to afford to travel the world and see things for my own and experience things on my own. Tell us more about growing up. I read somewhere that you lived abroad until you were 18 years old. What was it like to learn about those different cultures and how did money play into those experiences? We saw a lot of countries that didn't have a lot of financial freedom or opportunities. We lived in Panama, Brazil, Spain, traveled a lot throughout Latin and South America and Europe, being able to see cultures where predominantly the man is providing for the family, male-dominated societies in Latin and South America. Women are expected to stay home and take care of the children. And my mom was a homemaker, but she also was a teacher. When she worked, she had to work. So for me, being able to see how important it is to be able to provide for yourself, no matter your gender, and to be able to have that economic freedom is what I really appreciated as a young girl. I don't think I really looked at it as the have and have nots, but it was more we were able to see things not with a lot of money, but because my dad, like I said, was super cheap, not even frugal. We're talking like cheaper than cheap. We would all pile into one hotel room that was really meant for one couple. It would be all of us on a bed, which could be very awkward with my two siblings, or you get the floor this time. There were a lot of family fights, but that said, looking back on it, so many funny experiences that my sisters and I still talk about to this day. And I'll give my father all the credit in the world. He certainly made us appreciate a dollar earned and how far you could take it if you really put thought into it and decided what was most important to you. A lot of people think if you get a dollar, you can spend it on whatever you want. Well, we've certainly learned how to value where that dollar could take us. And what did we want with that dollar? So that's my nice way of saying my dad was super cheap. But I will say it taught me a lot growing up in that environment. To this day, I've learned to really appreciate that my dad worked really hard and saved and invested his entire life so that now he was able to retire at 51 years old. That's me in like a year from now. I could possibly retire, but I don't think that that's something that I feel comfortable with. If I'm not earning a living still, I'm like, wait a minute, what's this all about? But my dad did it. And he still is living off of his stock portfolio and his pension, and he's doing great. It sounds like you grew up with great role models. Were they mostly teaching you through their role modeling or were there family conversations about money? Sadly, I think my dad was a little too obsessed with money to the point where it was a fight rather than it being something that allowed us to see this is great. We have this. You have this dollar. What can you do with it? It was an education, but a tough education, like tough love. Often for me, it wasn't like I got weekly allowance, but I did get that education through like, if you're going to go buy something, go buy yourself some clothes for school rather than take yourself to a movie and go have some fun. 
I did learn the hard way, but learning the hard way is still a great way to learn. There were many things in life that I wanted that I couldn't have, no matter how much I asked, I never got. And I think kids too often, including my own, are spoiled. We'll see what we can do this year. Maybe we'll get this for you. Comes a little too easy, I think. You were really appreciating a dollar. You were appreciating that you would need to do things in your life to take care of your own desires in terms of money. Absolutely. One of the hardest lessons on that front was my dad and I still argue and talk about this because it did become a source of a strained relationship was going to college. I had applied to a lot of universities as so many college students, including my own high school seniors are doing right now. I ended up getting into Princeton. My dad was retiring from the military at the time. I got an acceptance as well from Rutgers College, which is where I ended up going because they gave me a great scholarship. And my dad went to Rutgers. I learned to love Rutgers and Rutgers was a great education. I've learned it doesn't really matter where you go to school. It really matters what you put into it and what you'll get out of it. But I fell in love with Princeton and my dad was like, I can't afford to send you there. And they didn't give scholarship offers like they do now. There was no way that I would be able to afford it unless I took out a bunch of student loans. And my dad gave me that option. He's like, you can work for it, pay it off 20 years from now. And the thought of carrying student debt at 18, thinking, I don't want to start my life with debt, it scared me. So I ended up choosing to go to Rutgers, which ended up being a great place, as I said. That said, it was always my dream that I would be able to get to go to the college of my choosing and it didn't work out that way. But life doesn't always work out that way. It's not what you exactly picture, but I still got the opportunity to go to college and it was paid for and had a great scholarship offer and got a great education. So moral of the day to the kids is doesn't really matter where you go. That was enforced in me once again, to have that freedom to choose where you want to go comes with also being aggressive and understanding the economics behind it and knowing what is it going to take when I come out of school? If I do have this debt, how do I get out of this debt? What would I do? I think it's such an important conversation to be had, especially as the cost of education just continues to skyrocket. And of course, the freedom to choose is such a gift. But this decision has to come with eyes wide open. I appreciate you highlighting that one of the choices means you come out with a lot of debt and you chose not to. I chose not to, exactly. It worked out just fine for me and thank goodness it did. I don't think my life would be any different. Maybe the people that I would have met would be different, but ultimately fate and destiny work itself out and I am where I'm supposed to be. Would you expand on what you brought to life through your travels? You learned the importance of being able to provide for yourself. What do you mean by that? So often I saw my mother being told how to spend her money from my father, given just a small window of you can buy yourself a dress. My father really never provided for us in that way. So for me, it was being able to, when I did get money for a birthday or my dad used to give us money for grades, which I know there's controversy in that as well. But that said, I got straight A's, so I got money from that. Very good incentive to keep me going. So I knew I could go buy myself a cute outfit with that money. Money does give you that freedom, whether it's freedom to choose where you want to go to school. It's my mom's ability to figure out how she was going to provide for us, being able to decide where we wanted to travel to. Those were all things that really shaped me early on. Also, as I said, seeing places where 
women didn't have a lot of power or wherewithal or say in what they did in a relationship. I saw a lot of that growing up. Seeing that made me realize I'm going to be smart about this on my own. I don't need somebody to provide for me. I'm going to provide for myself. That was always my driving force and still is to this day. Even though my husband and I have our joint accounts, I also have set up my own stock portfolio on the side, which I invest in by myself. I don't ask him for any investment ideas and have done pretty well with all my trades. It's just something that I feel very strongly about, whether it's play money or emergency money, or it's what if and just in case money. I think it's important to have that little nest egg put away. You never know where that could take you. I love how you are very independent within your marriage and making sure that you have things organized the way that you want to work for yourself and also for your marriage. Before we get there, though, let's go back to Rutgers and studying journalism. How are you thinking about money and career? Because that's a really big decision for many people. That's another big point for me because as a journalism major, it was always my passion to enter my career right away, right out of college and to be able to hit the ground running. But so often college students, especially now, are realizing sometimes you don't get that dream job right out of the starting gate. You have to take a lot of jobs in between or you start somewhere else completely different, which is actually what ended up happening with me. And it ended up being probably the best thing in terms of my financial independence and just understanding the world and the economy, because I got a job from Chemical Bank at the time, which is now JP Morgan Chase, gone through many evolutions and mergers. And at that time, it was for a management training program. It was an incredible experience. I equate it to getting my MBA for free while getting paid. I really got an overview of how the world economy works. I was able to, at one point, even work in the securities lending program, in the 401k planning programs. While I was in the 401k planning department, they asked me, oh, will you speak Spanish and Portuguese? That's amazing. Would you consider doing these 401k meetings? We have this plant in Hyannis, Massachusetts, and it's mostly Portuguese. These are Portuguese people from Portugal. I speak Portuguese from Brazil because my mother's Brazilian, my father's Puerto Rican. So I'm like, okay, it's a little bit different. We speak the same language, but the problem is translating. What is 401k and 401k in Portuguese? And how do I explain to these people who are pretty much living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth, the importance of putting away just $5 and investing it and the amount that can be compounded over time in a 401k plan? I delivered these meetings. My dad helped me translate and my mom, putting all our heads together. We were trying to get our best business speak Portuguese, which is very different than just being able to speak everyday Portuguese. So I would do these meetings. I don't know if anybody really signed up. I don't think they did, but I learned a lot. And I recognized for me, just being 21 years old, how important it was to start investing in my retirement and my future. I don't think a lot of 21-year-olds are thinking that way. From those meetings and from that assignment going forward, I started investing in the stock market and putting money away and thinking, this is maybe not my career dream to be in finance, but I'm learning so much. I did it for two years. And from Chemical Bank, once I had some money put away and saved up, I realized now I can go chase my dream job. I took pretty much a 50% pay cut to then get my first job in TV 
I was working as a marketing assistant, production assistant at Court TV in New York and making at the time $18,000 a year. This is in 1995. It was very hard to live on that. There were days where I was scraping quarters together to do my laundry. And then whatever was left over is like, okay, I could go buy myself a sandwich. Tell us more about this though, taking a 50% pay cut to do what you love. That's admirable. That's really hard. It's really hard. But if you're 20 something and single, that's the time to do it. I think a lot of people say someday I'm going to have my dream job and it's going to be the perfect job, but it could mean taking a huge pay cut. For me, it was, this is the chance of a lifetime. I get to do this incredible job that eventually made me exactly where I want it to go. And it did, but it's going to come at a little bit of a cost at first. If I'm willing to stick to it and work my way up the ladder, which I did, and it was pretty quick. I'll say that's the one thing about working in television. If you're smart, if you've got a good head on your shoulders, and if you really want it and you're passionate about it and have good people that help mentor you along the way, you can do it. It's going to take time and it's going to be hard. I worked really hard at it. Perhaps what I couldn't have, I learned from. And this time I was like, I'm going to have to put money away to be able to go after what I really want. And that was the dream and chasing this dream of being a journalist. Again, it's not handing your kids everything on a silver platter and making them a little hungry. I was really hungry to be able to go out there and to be a reporter, to do the job that I knew I was born for. As a reporter, are you conscious about pay or are you just pursuing a dream? Are you even thinking about how this is going to pay for those future needs? Back then, I wasn't. I loved the job so much. I was getting up at like three, four o'clock in the morning. My first real on-air job was at News 12, the Bronx, taking a cab when it was not even light out yet, going to the Bronx, driving. I was shooting my own video. I was editing my own stories. I was writing. It was a one-man band production with News 12. I really was in love with the idea that everything I put out there, I'm doing from beginning, middle to the end. And then I would go on and anchor the morning newscast too. It was as scrappy as you could get, but there's no better education in that scrappiness of it. Learning alongside the top reporters in the market, in any market, standing alongside the reporters reporting on some of the same stories, watching how they would report it. I would go back. Here's how I did my piece. Here's how they did their piece. And I don't think I thought I'm not making money. It was just so exciting. The adrenaline rush was what kept me going. Didn't matter that I wasn't sleeping much. But again, that comes with being young in your 20s. And then once my husband and I got engaged and then married, starting our lives together, then we started thinking, okay, buying a house. How much do we need? Getting a car. What do we need for insurance? You start putting it all together. You're like, I need to make a little more money. Tell us about that. How did you pursue your next opportunities? With television, every two to three years, you get a chance on a cycle or a contract. After working at News 12 The Bronx for a couple of years, I had an opportunity to go to Hartford, Connecticut. It was an NBC-owned and operated station, which an O&O is great because it basically means the network is keeping track and really watching what you put out. Working in Connecticut, I was working in a market where people go to New York every day, but they see you on the local news channel. So I was very visible in that market. People started to hear my name. They started to see me. They gave me an opportunity to try out at CNBC for a bit. And then that led to an opportunity at MSNBC. So I was in Hartford for three years, 
first started off as a weekend anchor, then it became an evening news anchor, then I was the morning anchor, and then quickly went from there to MSNBC. I'm talking national news now, going from local news to national news. That was a huge stepping stone and such a scary thing at the time. And I remember thinking, gosh, I'm so happy on local news. Will I like doing this on a much bigger platform and stage and being petrified at the idea, but at the same time knowing this is what's next. If you want to take the leap, now's the time to do it because we didn't have kids yet. It was a good opportunity to keep working hard and paying it forward. So we did that. As you're advancing in your career, going from one platform to the next bigger one, the contracts were starting to change. Were you working with an agent to negotiate? When I was at News 12, the Bronx, an agent approached me. So I started then. It was a little early to really need an agent because I wasn't making enough money. Agent takes 10%. Thinking about that now, I'm like, back then, that was the big chunk of money. But he did help me get from that market to Hartford and then making the next big leap from Hartford to NBC to MSNBC was another agent. Agents are in our business, the ones who do the hard work when it comes to making sure you get what you're rightfully owed. They usually know what people in that market are making, how you compare. They know what they can ask for. Whereas I could certainly say, well, I'm worth this. And somebody would say, no, you're not. get back where you belong. They do the dirty work, I like to say, but it's worth it when you get to the point in your career when you're not haggling or arguing over money with your employer. There's a lot of beauty in it. Would you give us a little fly on the wall snippet of what the money conversations are like with an agent? Having an agent do the hard bargaining for you, there's a lot of back and forth. Here's what we're willing to pay, what a network or local news organization says they can afford. The agent figures out if that seems right or if it seems like they're off the mark or if they're lowballing you. Sometimes it works if you have two or three offers to go off of. It works in your favor, but it doesn't always work out that way. If you're in a contract as well, what's of interest to a lot of people is you don't necessarily have the freedom or the bargaining power until your contract is up. Like in football, when you become a free agent, your contract is up. That's when you know who's in line and who's interested in you. Otherwise, you're not supposed to really be talking to other people, although people do. And you certainly know who might be interested in you or who might not be interested in you anymore as you start getting towards the window of the tail end of your contract. It sounds like these are very professional relationships, more akin to working with a real estate agent as opposed to a trusted advisor where they really know what your intentions are and your purposes around your career. Having an agent allows you to take yourself to a different place than you might have even thought I was going to be in local news forever. I loved being in Hartford. It felt like home to me. And it really was. We bought our first house there together. We were starting thinking about having a family. And then my agent brings this idea, do you want to go work at the national level? I didn't think of that for me necessarily at that point, even though that is the next logical step. But when he said, there's interest in you, then you're like, okay time to pay attention. What kind of interest and how much interest and how much are they offering? It is like the real estate market, knowing what you're worth and a little bit of supply and demand, knowing what else is out there and where the needs are for somebody like you. I appreciate that idea, knowing what you're worth. When your contract is up, that sounds like a very nerve wracking time. Oh my gosh, it is. You have to wait till it's up, but then it's up. Tell us about that feeling. 
I also negotiated a contract in the middle of COVID at one point, which was hugely disappointing and hard. But at the same time, everybody was taking pay cuts, everybody in every industry, people were losing jobs. So felt very fortunate to still be wanted and to have people who really cared about my work. That said, if there was ever a time where it was the most nerve wracking for our family was I was getting toward the end and not really knowing who was going to be there for me and if they really thought I was worth that much anymore, especially since I had moved from New York to California, sometimes out of sight, out of mind. If you're not in the number one media market, LA certainly is a huge market, but it is in some ways taking a step back for me, but for my family, it was a huge step forward. It was the logical place we needed to expand and grow and to let my children have their time. I'm glad that things worked out the way they worked out, but there were some hard lessons and hard times where you have to sit back and think, did we make the right move and at what cost and what is the next step for me? And I've just been really lucky. Also, I've worked really, really hard. I think people respect my work. They value what I bring to the table. So there is a need for that. Would you tell us a little bit more about how you and your husband, and maybe even conversations with your kids, how you handled the conversations about moving away from New York and coming to California? As career moms ourselves, we're faced with different decisions throughout our careers of what's best for our career, what's best for the family, and it's not always aligned. We talk about these big moments in your life that shape you and shape your decision-making and who you are. To me, it came with that military background and moving every two to three years. That made me such a stronger person for it, allowed me to be able to adapt and adjust to any situation, which made me a great reporter, a great journalist, being able to sink myself into any story, talk to people from all different backgrounds. Those were all things that I was able to do because I did have that uncomfortable experience every two to three years of having to pick up and move and replant your roots and find new friends and start all over again. Our children are a little too comfortable sometimes, my kids included. They were born and raised in Hoboken, New Jersey, up until my son was 12 when we moved here. And first 12 years of his life and my younger son, same up until he was seven years old, they were getting too comfortable, had the same group of friends, which we still love and still have those friends. But I was like, you know what? Sometimes you have to experience new things and find different paths for yourself. It's not always going to be being in the same house with the same set of friends at the same school. You have to learn how to move on, how to make new friends, how to adapt and assimilate to whatever environment you're in. When we first talked to my kids about the idea of coming to California, they were like, what are you talking about? Why would we want to go there? Then I brought them out here and I bribed them with some in and out. And I took them to NBC Universal a couple of times. And they were like, we can go to NBC Universal anytime we want. Now they're like, I don't want to go to NBC Universal anymore ever again. But no, I think once they saw we were going from a smaller house to having a backyard, our dog was so happy here and got another dog while we've been here. So I think they realized this is going to be a great thing for our family in the end and a chance to take it where both my husband and I were dreaming of this next opportunity for ourselves. My husband's business as well, he's a private equity investor. He's in the health and wellness and consumer products area of expertise. And so he had been out to California a lot. The health and wellness sector is perfect for him out here. And there were a couple of companies that he had been talking to that were interested. So it just worked out that it was the natural move for us. And my kids were on board. 
also when you're like, you're doing it. So come on, let's go get on board or jump ship. That's a great segue to a question I'd like to ask you. How do you define success? That's so interesting. Two years ago, I think I would have defined it differently. But after what we've all experienced through the pandemic and going through these last two years, for me, success is still the ability to be independently free. And what I mean by that is economically, being able to make your own decisions and choices I'm not saying having to have a lot of it. I'm saying the ability to step away from a situation if you feel like you're not being valued or respected or not getting the credit you deserve and being able to try something new and different. Success to me is being happy in my own skin. The last two years were uncomfortable for a lot of people thinking my value has decreased. They don't really care to have what I'm doing anymore or even just recognizing that there's a whole new marketplace that is now happening and people are podcasting, people are telling stories in so many different ways that the medium is changing so much. Realizing life is about taking risks, that's how you reap the reward. In my life, I feel like I've always been able to do that. But there was a time when you have kids and you get comfortable in a situation like my own children. I was too comfortable in my own situation until the last couple of years made me wake up a little bit and say, what is it that I really want? What are the things that I'm missing in life? Where's the freedom that I'm supposed to have with this level of success? If there's a metaphor in anything, to me, freedom was always that thing that I always wanted that I could never have. Metaphorically speaking, that one thing was the ability to have a horse. When I was 10 years old, all I wanted for my birthday, I want a horse. I just want to be able to ride. I want to be able to take lessons. And I was never able to do that because it costs too much. We're moving too much. We're never in one place enough. Dogs are already too difficult to take care of as we move from place to place. So I could never have that experience until planting roots in California. And during the pandemic, I said, I know now is not the time to take on an expense like this, but at the same time, this is the equivalent of therapy to me. It's my happy place. I started writing. I had a group of friends that I started writing with, became very close. They had horses and there was a horse and I fell in love with the horse. And I was like, okay, I'm getting a horse. So now I have my dogs and a horse, but that was this dream that I always had. And it was finding a way to have the lifestyle that allows me to get there, to be able to support that dream. In this case, having a horse is my sense of being on an animal's back and being free and feeling strong and capable and learning so much about myself. I realized there's a greater metaphor in that too, in that feeling like I was comfortable and I'd reached a point in my life where I was successful enough on my own that I deserved to have this for myself. Congratulations on achieving financial freedom. That's huge. What does it feel like to have reached this moment where you've achieved it? I think everybody still struggles day to day. I'm not going out and buying myself crazy things. I'm frugal like my dad in a lot of ways. But to me, it's more having the ability to choose where my son goes to school. If he does decide he wants to go to the school of his dreams, I can give him that. And knowing that he will not have to take on a lot of debt, he can make his own choices and decisions, giving them the lives and the things that came at a much more difficult price for me. I guess that's the best way to put it. I too have a high schooler and the conversations around college are quite interesting. Have you guys had a lot of conversations about the economics of college and the cost benefit? Oh yeah, they know. There are a lot of questions with 
kids of this age and this generation of kids, is it really worth it taking on eighty-five dollars to $100,000 a year? By the time my youngest goes to school, it's going to be way more than that. Whereas getting job experience and having those opportunities and skill sets that you develop as you're taking on a trade or a job, I do believe college ultimately is the best way to know yourself and to create a network. While I want them to have both experiences and have internships throughout college and make sure they get that on-the-job experience. Education has always been the number one thing my parents emphasized in my life and same with our kids. Good grades, working really hard, showing that you really want the world to see your intellect and to understand you in a way that they can understand that you really tried to learn and be your best. If money were no object, what would you most like to do? Travel the world. I mean, I think everybody wants to, right? Especially now. Yeah, exactly. I'd wait till this is all over with, but I would love to be able to live in Spain or a place where I planted some roots early on in my life and I'm fluent in Spanish, but to be able to really get it back to what it used to be and to get my children to really speak it and understand it. I think the only way you can truly learn a language is by living in a country and culture. So for me, it would be if I could take a couple of months every year and go to a new place and learn Italian, learn French, learn Spanish. That's my dream. I love languages. I love traveling and seeing the world and experiencing cultures. It's never been lost on me that my dad's career is what allowed us those opportunities early on. And I still love it. No wonder the success you've had. This passion comes through in your journalism and your reporting. Thank you. Natalie, as our conversation comes to a close, will you tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? With my oldest, as he goes off to college, he'll get his first credit card. With that credit card comes some freedom, but also being able to already start making smart decisions and choices, how you spend. You're also starting your credit history and what that means for your future when you buy your first house, when you get your next car. So all of those great discussions that parents need to have with their children, we don't have it early enough. We should be talking to them much sooner, I think, about saving, investing. My oldest has been given some birthday money every couple of years. He invests in a certain stock. He's seen his portfolio do really well, and he's bought some cryptocurrency, which we'll see. It's done okay so far. Still a real thing but he's learning from it. That's the great thing. He's learning about investing and the importance of seeing his money grow and the freedom that comes with that again, not just seeing his money grow, but seeing himself be able to grow along with it. Those are important conversations. We're glad you're having them. We wish you and your family luck with them. And we congratulate you again on achieving freedom with all of the success you've had in your life and sharing so much of that and your money perspectives and experiences with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. It was great to speak with you and hope this enlightens and helps people, inspires them in some way. Sure it will. Thanks, Natalie. Cammie, I really enjoyed that conversation we had with Natalie Morales. What a fantastic, driven, talented woman who is so down to earth. It was really fun talking with her. Since we're at that point in our conversation where we get to cover our takeaways from the interview, What was one of your biggest highlights from this conversation with Natalie? I liked her explanation of why she's so driven. And it stems back to something that she talked about with her dad, who was extremely frugal. Natalie said he was too obsessed with money. 
And because of that, and other reasons, she learned the importance of being able to provide for yourself and how important freedom is. Success is a form of freedom to Natalie. What she talked about is it gives her the ability to step away. This idea of being able to provide for yourself. And as you have success in life, that opens up options. You don't have to take a certain job or you can make other choices. Although it was a hard lesson, it sounds like it was a fight at times. It was also a gift that she was given this drive. She's made great beauty out of that drive. I'm really glad you brought that up, Cami, because I think there's an additional important takeaway. And that is we talk a lot with our Money Tales guests in our work with clients about modeling and the importance of modeling behavior, modeling values. And when we model money behaviors and values, we can teach lessons. Oftentimes, those lessons are for our children and other family members to emulate our behaviors. And in this case with Natalie, she was highlighting that sometimes modeling behaviors around money means that you're teaching someone what not to do. And for Natalie, that meant not being frugal and having a very different relationship with money. I personally related with Natalie sharing these stories because I grew up in a family where there were many arguments about money at different times. And I remember thinking, I don't want to grow up being someone who has arguments about money. I also found Natalie's comments about working with agents to be interesting. Some of our other Money Tales guests have also shared some of their experiences working with agents, but we haven't really talked about them in much detail. While agents can be expensive, 10% of your compensation goes toward the agent, they do provide so much information. They really have their fingers on the market that they're working in and in what people are paying for talent. Also, what Natalie shared about encouraging talent to achieve new roles and to get to that next level of success. When Natalie was sharing those stories, I was thinking, would I want an agent? <laughs> When someone says it costs 10%, it was this 10%. It still sounds like a lot of money. But then as she described that this agent allows her to focus on her craft while they understand the marketplace, understand the pricing, understand where the opportunities are. There is such a priceless component. You have to pay for good things and sometimes it's expensive. Now, should you evaluate? Are you getting the value? Absolutely. But you sometimes have to pay for getting good things. Also, the fact that she's under contract most of the time, all this negotiation happens when the contract comes up. And I know there are many professions out there that work in similar ways. It was nice to get a glimpse into that. That's a good segue to the idea that she brought up how life is about taking risks. That contract coming up period must be a very anxious time. It feels like there's some risks embedded in there. And it's such an important message that you have to take risks in life. It's good to be smart about those risks and do all the research you can to mitigate the risks. What do you say, Sandy? Magic is... The magic happens when you go outside of your comfort zone. I love that. And Natalie brought that up with what she's done. She even talked about it with moving. Moving made her stronger. And that sounds very uncomfortable. She encouraged her family to do something similar and they took this leap. That story was about taking risks and through that learning to be adaptive and so much more. There's another lesson that Natalie brought forth in this conversation, the importance of having a growth mindset. 
Natalie did take a lot of risks. She had a lot of situations, especially in her younger years, moving every couple of years to a new country or new school, having to make new friends. And for some people, that could have been really hard. Natalie was able to see it as an opportunity for growth, one that she has leveraged throughout her life. Sometimes it's about our own mindset and our perception. And if we're focused and we want to achieve a certain level of success and we're willing to take the risks and approach those risks with the right mindset, there's all sorts of amazing things that can happen. Natalie gave us a tremendous number of gifts in this conversation and opportunities to learn from her experiences. We appreciate those insights into a world that I'm not as familiar with. So thank you very much, Natalie. Thank you, Natalie Morales, for being our guest today. Thank you, Money Tales listeners, for being with us. Please share this episode with other folks you know who would enjoy it. We always appreciate when you rate the episode on your favorite podcast platform. And you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.